episode 93, Baby Galaxies. And welcome back for another edition of the Syzygy Podcast. My name is Chris Stewart, sitting in the office of Emily Brunsden here at the University of York. Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. We are back for another episode in which we are continuing the theme of baby things in the universe. For all the obvious reasons, Emily, I have to check in. How are you doing? How's everything going? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Still big major thumbs up there. So, yes, Given that Emily is going to be going through her own baby adventure not too far down the track, we figured we'd do a little series of podcasts on baby things. And so today we're going to, I guess it's, it's a continuation of a theme. We started with the baby universe itself, the birth of the universe, the creation of the universe. And then we went on to the very first stars in the last episode. Emily, where are we going today? Well, we're not actually going too far along in time to begin with, but we're going to start looking at the very first galaxies. Very first galaxies, baby galaxies. So how do we start this? Well, I guess the first question you might want to ask is what came first, the stars or the galaxies? The stars, and this came up in a previous episode because there was a <laughs> when you were discussing what the very first stars looked like, they were kind of interesting, and there was this little bit of a notion of, like, what is even what does it even mean to have a bunch of stars, a cluster of stars, when you've got these big, strange, wobbly stars that are that are made out of only the the hydrogen and the helium and, not, and nothing else because there was nothing else around. But they're huge and they're weird, and they might even have little stars orbiting around really, really big uber stars. So the whole notion of a collection of stars is kind of a bit hazy at that point, anyway. But it is an interesting question. Do you get stars forming in larger structures, which would then become sort of galaxy things? Or do the stars form and then the galaxy structures form after them? I don't know. It's, it's all about strange, isn't it? Mm. Well, I think because we have such a clear definition of what a star is, right? We know that when a, when a sort of collapsing cloud of gas comes down to the point where it gets so hot and so intense and pressure in the inside that you start fusing hydrogen to helium, that's a very clear cut. That's, that's a star. That's, yeah. you know, we know we can look at that. Everyone will point at that thing and say, yes, That's a star. star. It's yeah. a ball. It's, you know, nuclear burning. It's doing its thing. That's a star. It's clear. Yeah. Whereas a galaxy, I mean, we sort of have in our minds the sort of the glorious pictures that we've been treated to over the last few decades of Hubble, of uh, beautiful big spiral galaxies, these structures, these really fascinating objects. But really, I think we need to dial that sort of imagery down a little bit, because although these big grand spirals, etc., do exist clearly in, in the universe today... Uh, there are lots of other different types of galaxies. Some of things which you, if you had a look at, you wouldn't even recognize as a galaxy. And maybe even some things you have looked at in the sky and not recognize that that is Not even realize what you were looking at. So we probably then, by the sound of it, need to start with, Emily, what's a galaxy? <laughs> we're going to talk about baby ones. Then what's, how, do, how do astronomers define galaxies yeah it's a really good question and i'm not sure if there's really a particular definition <laughs> you know it when you see it <laughs> yeah there's very few things in astronomy that do have very clear-cut definitions you know what for a science you're very vague people well you know it's one of these things again you know it when you see it right yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But um, so we'll just to sort of give you a view of kind of the the zoo, if you like, of different types of galaxies we have. We do have the big spirals like the Milky yeah, which Way, is, Andromeda, so you're, blah, blah, blah. your quintessential, that's your beautiful galaxy that everyone knows and loves. And yep. we're in one, right? The Milky Way is one of these, you know, beautiful spiral-armed galaxies. Um, and so that's what you kind of think of. Yeah. And then you see these kind of other really large blobby galaxies. They kind of look like either spheres or can even be kind of long cigar-shaped. These we call elliptical galaxies, and they're huge. You know, they're at least as large as the spirals, but usually even bigger. So they're really kind of just clumps of stars, but maybe don't have quite the structure that you would normally see uh, in spirals. And then we actually have, well, we have two other definitions. We have irregular, which is... It's just lump all of those together that that look weird. Yeah, basically the other category. Quite often they're things that are merging at the moment. So two galaxies coming together, so they're sort of getting pulled apart. Or a galaxy that may have been part of a merger in the past and is now kind of, it's disrupted its structure. It doesn't kind of look normal anymore. Right. Okay. So it could have been something fairly simple, but it's not anymore. And so put it in this group over here that we'll call that irregular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the interesting one, I think one we'll come back to today is uh, looking at our dwarf galaxies. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about galaxies, like all the ones we've mentioned before, we're talking about sort of structures which have hundreds of billions of stars, right? The Milky Way has maybe 300, 400 billion. Andromeda's got a few hundred billion more than that. Um, But then these are these really tiny sort of small dwarf galaxies. We're really talking about things that only have maybe sort of a few tens of millions maybe of stars. Which is like, that's still a big number. But in terms of numbers of stars, when you're against billions or tens or hundreds of billions of stars... Tens of millions is tiny. Like that's that's a you know yeah. fraction of a percent. But yet these things are very very common. These are little dwarf galaxies. Right. Uh, in fact, we've kind of got our own like groupy um, collection of them as the Milky Way galaxies. We're the big people, right? If you like yeah, yeah. And then we've got our little collection of uh, fans right. hanging <laughs> these, around the edges. These little dwarf galaxies. So which ones are those? Do we well, two of them you're probably familiar with because being a southerner particularly, uh, and if you have been in the southern hemisphere and even looked at the Milky Way galaxy, you will have surely seen these. You might not have known what you were looking at, though. Might Those, not have known. Magellanic? Magellanic clouds, Magell- yeah. Magellanic, isn't yep. it? Yeah, because it's Magellan. Yeah. So Magellanic clouds. Um, large and small, is that right? Large and small, yeah. They're yeah. kind of two little fuzzy blobs on the on the sky that sort of appear on one side of the Milky Way. And, yeah, if you if you sort of just look at them, you might think, oh, someone has had a bit of a sneeze. and <laughs> Sneeze on the night sky. <laughs> we just need to sort of wipe that bit up. <laughs> yeah, because it's not like you're looking up and go, oh, look, there's a blob that's filled with stars. It's just sort of a bit of a smudge, yeah. really. But you might not have realised, but that you're actually looking at a different galaxy right. at that point. That's very cool. So those are the two naked eye sort of extra galaxies. You can, if you... Um, know what you're doing, know where to look. You can actually spot Andromeda um, mm-hmm. if it's very, very dark as well. It's The reason actually why Andromeda is so hard to spot is not that it's very it's bright. It is very bright. It's actually that it's huge on right. the sky. So that brightness is spread out it's over spread a big out. area. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. actually so, quite hard to so see. So if you take a picture of a really long time... Then you know long exposure, and then you, then it shows up really nicely. But just looking at the sky, it's not leaping out at you. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but the the Magellanic clouds, the those galaxies, they're dwarf galaxies. They're dwarf they're galaxies. Yeah. So yep. how how big are they? So uh, the Large Magellanic Cloud has about ten billion stars in it. Ten billion. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and the small, about six and a half billion. Right. So. Okay. But you said before that dwarf can get down even much smaller than that. You can have groups of stars which aren't in the billions, which are in the millions. Yes. Well, this is where we get to some some interesting stuff. And we're going to loop around back to what these kind of galaxies might be, might okay. sort of have been in the past. But, yeah, typically our dwarfs that we see around us today, we're talking about a yeah, low number of billions. Okay. All right. So what's the – is there a cutoff? Is there a sort of a that's a dwarf, that's not a dwarf, and it's at this number of stars? Or is it, again – you know it when you see it. Is it contextual? It's yeah, it is contextual. So right. you know, you've got a clumping of stars that's not part of you know, it's not part of a dynamically, gravitationally, um, actually in another galaxy. So we have clusters of stars, for example, in our galaxy, but they are part of our galaxy. They're they're all encompassed in the Milky Way. So you've sort of got to be a bit separate, right. and then yeah, there's no, there's not but sort then, of, but not too big. No. Not too big, and then you get to be a dwarf galaxy. Okay, cool. All right. So that's dwarf galaxies. Fantastic. But how does this relate to first galaxies? Well, let's be come back to the very, very beginning where we, well, not the, so much the beginning. We went from the Big Bang all the way up to the first stars yeah. and the first one in this little mini series. We then talked about the first stars themselves and when we sort of think that they started. And the most recent research is telling us maybe 250 million years after the Big Bang was when our first stars were being born. Mm -hmm. So uh, now, when were the first galaxies formed? And did the galaxies form and then the stars formed? Or did the stars form and then the galaxies formed? Yeah, chicken and egg question. So? Well, we don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Right. End of podcast. Thank you for listening. Yeah. We know that at least 400 million years after the Big Bang, galaxies existed. Okay. So this is is sort of putting a... You can you can put a lower limit on this is, well, what's the earliest galaxies we see? And even if we can't answer the question, which was first, like what happened before then, at least we've got a lower bound. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We're not even quite seeing these ones. So the earliest ones we can see are kind of 500 million years. That's going to all change in a matter of a few months, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. But at the moment, this is kind of our, our limit of what we can see. Uh, so we know that, yeah, just backtracing from that, if that structure exists at 500 million years, then it had to exist at 400 kind of thing. So maybe it was earlier as well. But, cool. yeah, so sometime in those very early few hundred million years of the universe, then the galaxies formed. Right. Now, yes, so coming back again, <laughs> you might feel like I'm avoiding this question. <laughs> <laughs> you are being a little bit What amazing. came first, the stars of the galaxies? It comes back down a little bit to your definition of what a galaxy is. Mm. So do you count a clump of gas that was just kind of a little bit denser than the next bit of the universe? Is that a galaxy? Is that Yeah. What, what counts? What defines it? Is do it... you need to have a star in your galaxy for it to be a galaxy? And will one star do? Like if you've got a clump of gas which is a little bit more dense than the other gas around it, and it's got one star in it, is that a galaxy? I don't know. You tell me. This is your <laughs> it's job. It's a difficult question. And I'm not, I'm not even sure that astronomers particularly care about the answer to this question. But I did try and read as much as I could to figure out, you know, this chicken and egg sort of scenario. But I mean, it's like at some point you've got to grapple with this, right? If you're, if you're interest, I'm not saying you specifically, Emily, I'm saying if one's particular interest is about like when did and how did the first galaxies form – then at some point you've got to kind of grapple with what, what do we mean by that? <laughs> what does the question even mean? And I guess one way of getting at it is what's the earliest galaxies that we can see that look like galaxies? 
and then work backwards from there to say, what what did it look like before that? And not worry too much about was it a galaxy at that point, I guess. Yeah, and you're certainly bang on the money when it comes to the question of how did these galaxies form? That is definitely a topic of much interest to astronomers and trying to figure out how these first galaxies came about. Um, unfortunately, the answer, the very short answer to that is still, well, we don't really know. I see know. a pattern here. <laughs> but we have a lot more information and we have two very clear models about galaxy formation in the very, very early years. Okay. Well, two is good. Yeah. Two is good. You know, it's, it's much better than none um, and probably more, uh, more comforting than one. If there was only one, but you weren't sure what, if it was true or not, then that doesn't really lead you anywhere. Having competing models is at least something you can play yeah. with. Well, I mean, they, they are really the only two ways you could possibly form a galaxy. Okay. So if you had a third, I'd be a bit yeah. confused. But All right, anyway. that's nice and complete. So there's two ways you can form a galaxy. You can have a very, very large clump of stuff in the universe that collapses down mm-hmm. and forms something smaller. Um, that's called a top-down model of formation. Yeah. Or you can have little things that come together and get bigger and bigger and bigger, and that is bottom-up. That's bottom-up, right, which, again... I remember talking about this when we were talking about solar systems and creation of solar systems and so on, and that you can have top-down and bottom-up of the way planets are formed and things like that. So a similar idea here. Yeah. And so those are the two I, I can't imagine models. a third that you could get out no. of the universe, gonna to be, be honest. It's going to be one of those yeah. or the other, or maybe a combination of both. Who knows? But yeah. yeah. So if you have a look at the, the different models, so top down is kind of, it's the very natural place you might go to as an astronomer because you see structure being formed in this way in other parts of astronomy. For example, the birth of stars is a top down process. It's a collapse process. Right. You've got a, a bunch of gas and then a little bit, which is a bit denser, collapses further and further and further. And out of that gas, you get this really dense bit that eventually switches on as a star. But that's a top down thing. Yeah. You started with... Big space filled with stuff and creating things out of that. Mm. Mm -hmm. So this model's been around for a while. It was first sort of really put together in its um, form that we know today in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it does just follow basically the same principle. Gravity pulls matter together. Dark matter, we know now, probably played an important role in that, helping that structure to form. Um, It clumped, it collapsed down, and then it got to little little clumpy bits that went under their own self-collapse. And then you sort of get this um, really natural thing forming out of top-down models, which is uh, that – so we talked about how we form disks when we form planets, and actually the same sort of thing happens in the top-down model when you form a galaxy because what you're doing is you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller – But the object that you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller has some rotation. Just randomly at the beginning. Yeah. And that rotation, if I remember correctly, the effect of a very small amount of random rotation is going to be going in one direction randomly more than any other direction. And that gets enhanced as it collapses. Yeah. That all the other random motion basically cancels out and you're just left with what on, on a massive scale was a tiny little bit of, it's just rotating this way a bit, becomes this whole thing is swirling around in that direction as it collapses down. Yeah. And that's how you get a disk Yeah, in it's, a plane. it's what we call the pizza dough model. Right, nice. Which you can imagine if you're a very, very good uh, pizza base yeah. maker. Yeah, the pizza, pizza twirler. Yeah, yeah, then you can spin your, your initially spherical lump of dough and it flattens out into a disk. It's actually the same piece yeah. of Which I don't know if you've ever tried. It's 
I've never made it. It's really hard. I've only ever made a really, really big mess. <laughs> anyway, that aside, I like the idea. Yeah. Pizza, the pizza dough model. And of course, um, angular momentum conservation means that as you get smaller, as because you've got some rotation, then uh, the smaller you get, the faster you end up rotating. Right. It's the pizza dough mixed with ice skater model. Yeah. yeah, ice skaters with pizza dough. Ice, uh, pizza dough. That would work quite skaters. well, I think. Yeah, it's cold. So. But think, anyway, yeah, anyway, yes, let's not dwell on that too much. <laughs> so yeah, so then you get this kind of spiral structure, which is the kind of the, the foundation of a spiral galaxy that we see uh, around in the universe today. Right. And then parts of that would have been over dense and collapsed down and formed stars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now you can explain some of the observations of what we see in the universe around us today with this model. But actually, we're more leaning towards actually the flip side of this model because it's all just about what the observations match up better with, yeah. to be honest. I mean, that's you. the thing about models is it sounds great, really nice idea, but does it fit with the universe? You know, nature yeah. doesn't give a damn about what your favorite model is. It's only going to say this is what we have. So, so we haven't thrown out this model yet. But we're sort of leaning towards, in fact, in my notebook, I had to draw a little set of scales with one sort of <laughs> leaning a little bit more towards actually the other model. That Emily has the most amazing set of notebooks. We really should, you know, in some way capture these for, for posterity because I think this podcast is a, is a is a make a good textbook, I think, in some ways. Very odd. Anyway. Yeah, so our little scales are bent a little bit more towards the bottom-up formation scenario. Okay. So this is actually, we, we do see this in other places in the universe as well. It's not unfamiliar to us in astronomy. Um, so we get smaller things sticking together to form bigger things. So where we've probably mentioned this before is in the formation of, say, rocky planets. Yeah, yeah. Dust, sort of grains, gets sand, cars, etc. You just stick more stuff together and then you eventually get to the size of a planet. Yeah, I mean, this is where we've come from. This is the Earth. Right, the Earth formed in that way. Yeah, yeah. And I guess in some ways you could maybe even say a baby's formed that way because you've got sort of cells that are dividing, yeah, and yeah. taking up some mass and sticking together. <laughs> the baby's not sort of condensing out of no. <laughs> the insides of you. It's growing a bit at a time, and you're adding to it in small lumps. So yes, I think yes. that probably works. Yeah, it yeah. would be quite disturbing if would we had a top-down model. Very yeah. odd anyway, mental image. We'll move on from leave, that. Leave that one well <laughs> really So yes, you have small clumps that stick together. Now, what were the small clumps? Mm. You might want to ask. Uh, well, what were the small clumps? I do ask. It looks like these small clumps were basically what we now call globular clusters. Okay, so we haven't yet talked, I mean, we've mentioned them before, but in our discussions so far in this episode, we've talked about galaxies and spiral galaxies and so on, and elliptical galaxies and dwarf galaxies. We haven't talked about globular clusters, which are not mm. at the galaxy level, but what? No, there's so the clusters of stars. So the, glo the globular clusters that we see in the Milky Way galaxy are groupings of stars. They're sort of anything from about 10,000 stars up to a couple of million mm -hmm. um, stars, maybe even tens of millions if you go to really big ones in other galaxies. Okay, so these are sizable groups of stars, but why, why do we have them? Why do you get a globular cluster? Well, it's really interesting because they're really, really densely packed. So they're sort of crammed into this region of somewhere between 20 and 100 parsecs, mm -hmm. which sounds like a lot because parsecs is just sounds like a really big yeah. thing. But if you think about, well, um, one parsec is basically the distance from us to the next star. Okay, so us to the next star, 
that sort of a, a, a star spacing on our scale. Yeah. You said you've got how many in what area? That's about one parsec, and then we've got about maybe a million stars and a hundred of those. That, okay, so that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. That's really packed together. You'd know if you were in one of those because oh, the yes. sky would be very different. <laughs> Indeed. You might yeah. even not know you're in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because you're just surrounded by huge numbers of stars. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that must look amazing. Yeah, So, and they're wonderful objects to go and look through telescopes and things out there. They're just really cute, you a lovely dense, they're sort of yeah. a denser central region and they slowly get yeah. sort of more And um, we verified. see these like throughout our galaxy? Like they're yeah, common? Yeah, they are. Well, we think there's, we think we know of about 150. Right. There's probably maybe around 500 in total in our galaxy. We just haven't found them all. They're on, you know, on the other side of the mm-hmm. galaxy. Hard to see. Hard to see. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so they're reasonably common in our galaxy. They're in a weird place in the sense that all the clusters of stars that are new clusters that are born now or you know forming new stars right now they're all in you know the spiral arms of the milky way uh, kind of where there's lots of gas and so on to to actively form new stars Mm -hmm. these globs tend to sit out in the halo of the galaxy where there's no gas to form new stars right so they're they're old like what's the origin they are really old, actually, and this is the, this is what makes them also incredibly interesting to study. So, it was, for a long time, I think even when I was an undergraduate, we had age estimates for these globular clusters, and there were a couple of them that we thought were older than the universe. That's um, embarrassing. Yeah, inconvenience. <laughs> it was presumably wrong. So. <laughs> well. It tells you just how old these things yeah, are, yeah, right? Yeah. They to within are... error bars of both the age of the universe and the age of the globular cluster, it seems like yeah. they're older. How do you measure that, by the way? Uh, so you can measure it from the ages of the stars themselves. Um, so if you know that if you're a particular mass, you know roughly how long a star of that particular mass has to run when it's just fusing hydrogen to helium. Right. And so you can kind of measure, therefore, what the ages of the whole cluster uh, based on those, just the ages of the stars in it, because they're all born at the same time, so you kind of get a nice spread. One assumes that that the ages of these things has been updated, and it's no longer a problem. Well, actually, it was almost more the other way. We oh, we, we fixed the age of the universe. Ah, well, that's yes. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. As long <laughs> as as long as we don't have a paradox here anymore, yeah. it's fine. No, Everyone's we used to happy. think the universe was maybe around thirteen point sort of four five billion years, and now we're much more in the seven eight right. billion years. But I mean, that is pitching the age of these globular clusters to be like this is not old this is really old yeah yeah earliest bits so i saw one of the latest studies that's about the average age of the clusters in the milky way might be around 13.35 billion years so that puts them at the what sort of 400 400 million million year mark after the big bang which is that's really early. Yeah, which is right when we're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's exciting. We've got these kind of things in our galaxy today, which are potentially some mm. of the very first structures that were formed in the universe. That's really wild. So we think that these globular clusters sort of size objects then sort of started to come together into larger and larger structures. And for some reason, some of them kind of just didn't make it into the sort of the full galaxy. They didn't make it into the disc. They just got left out hanging out in the halos. Just hanging around the edge. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, but this whole model really does predict a lot of the things that we do see. Um, it's not perfect. Um, it predicts, for example, that we've got lots of more smaller galaxies in the universe, these dwarfs, which we see, which mm-hmm. is good. Take. Is that because if you're building things up 
from smaller things, then you will tend to have sort of a hierarchy of lots of little things making smaller numbers of bigger things, making smaller numbers of bigger things, making smaller numbers of really big things. And at some point you sort of reach, we've got, you know, you'd expect there to be quite a few of sort of smaller size galaxies and really huge galaxies, not so much. Is that, is yeah, that kind of where yeah. it comes from? No, you're, you're on the right track yeah. too. And yeah, you get a whole lot that get left out of the process. Yeah. It's different sort of stages. Yeah. So they kind of just become the remnants of yeah. okay. the other galaxies. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. So that kind of works. Uh, there's a few things that this model doesn't really address. Um, I won't go into too much of the details, but basically spiral galaxies are still... Um, they spin too fast is part of the problem. We don't really understand that. Um, and how big spirals are, we sort of think that they maybe should be a little bit bigger, perhaps, than right. they are. But I mean, look, to a to a lay, naive person, it's I, I find it amazing that you can take a model, a model like, let's build up galaxy structures, you know, bottom up from chunks to bigger chunks to bigger chunks, and that you can actually make predictions at the level of, how fast would you reckon a spiral galaxy ought to be turning on the basis of this model? I mean, that's, you know, that's several layers deep on the, you know, the the, the sort of predictive outputs of this model. It's, that's fairly impressive yeah. to then be able to say, oh, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, I mean, it, I maybe trivialised it a little bit. Um, it, it, it is a serious problem and it's um, a serious problem not only just for galaxy evolution, but it's a serious problem for our cosmology because... Mm-hmm. Our, sim- our very simple model of the universe, which seems to hold up to most of the tests that we can throw at it, which is called uh, Lambda CDM. So it means we've got dark matter, we've got dark energy, and basically it's a very straightforward sort of way to right. write some equations down about the universe this is from the, the, that. The, uh, the summary of our best knowledge of how the universe works. Mm. Yeah. And as I say, it, it's a great theory. It, everything we seem to throw at it, it seems to do fairly well. We, it's the best thing we've got. But it does not quite explain everything. Yeah, it's a bit fuzzy see. around the edges. Might so need look, some tweaking. Yeah, like the standard model in particle physics. It does a really good job as long as you don't look too closely over there. Mm. <laughs> that bit, because yeah. it completely falls apart over there. But don't yeah. look too closely at the spiral galaxies that we see around us okay. today. I mean, do. They're beautiful. But just don't <laughs> ask too many deep questions. Yeah. So broadly, I think we're sort of leaning this way in terms of structure formation. But, you know, there's actually, as you actually had said yourself earlier in the podcast, it doesn't have to be one or the other. No, this is not a binary, surely. You could have had a bit of both going on. So you might have had some collapse on the scales of globular clusters and maybe these what we now call globular clusters, what they would have been in the early universe, they might have been slightly bigger than what we see more often today. So that's why sort of pushing up to the tens of millions maybe right. of stars. Um, so, yeah, maybe those structures kind of formed from collapse, but then they came together in a more sort of um, hierarchical merging right. system. Right, right. So, you know, there's kind of different ways you can you can bake the bake the pie to get the galaxies out you and have i mean today. inevitably it's going to be more complicated right that that you know just because we're clever enough to come up with a model which works reasonably well doesn't mean that the universe is going to behave itself and say oh yeah no you're right it was that definitely it feels to me like it's much more likely that it would be you know dominated by certain processes but other you know, top-down type things would be mixing in there at some level anyway. Yeah, there's always the outliers as well, right? Yeah, (laughs) stuff around the edges. So we can't quite see 
back far enough into the universe or far away enough in the universe to quite see these early galaxies, these early stars. We're literally right on the cusp yeah. at the moment with our we current We discussed technology. this last time, I seem to remember, that you can get close, you can get so close, um, but there's still this gap between not being any stars and galaxies and what's the earliest ones that we can see. And I guess the interest there is how far can we push that? Yes. How far can we look? So, well, we're going to be able to look deeper soon. We'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we're kind of stuck with what we've got. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it makes sense to now turn our focus a little bit from maybe the first galaxies forming in the universe. And let's have a little look at maybe some galaxies that might be forming in the universe today. Does that, uh, I mean, it's an interesting thing in its own right anyway, because, you know, a dynamic process of formation of anything, stars, galaxies, planets, solar systems, is interesting. But looking at stuff that's happening now presumably can give at least some insight as to what would have happened in the early universe, even if the early universe was different to what we see now? Yeah, well, this is something I completely had not appreciated at all. I mean, galaxies is not really my field, but Mm -hmm. I I just had my blinkers on to this. I just thought, you know, galaxies formed the the early universe. They've done a lot of evolution. They've done a lot of things in their lives between then and now. But, you know, basically galaxies were formed that's and done then now we have what we have today so the idea of new galaxies being formed now is a bit interesting yeah well i completely just as i say passed me by <laughs> just completely oblivious to the thought that you could be forming new galaxies yeah. in the universe around us today now, now can i just can i just point out the notion of today is difficult because we are looking back in time as we look out into space. And so when you say new galaxies forming today, I mean, you're about to get onto this part of the story. Maybe I should just shut up and let you tell it. But how far away, how long ago does today stretch, you know? Well, not very long, actually, because the the system we're going to be looking at today is actually quite a close-by system. So I haven't written down the distance to it, actually, but it's one of the closest big sort of spiral galaxy systems to the Milky Way, which means we're probably only looking about sort of a few million years um, in terms of light travel travel time, maybe 10, so So on that order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're not talking billions of years ago, billions and billions of years ago, we're talking within millions, which, again, on the age of the universe is nothing. Mm. So... This basically now. Yeah, cool. exactly. So it's All a right. modern modern universe, yeah. shall we say? What's what's around at the moment? Yeah. So why don't I shut up and you tell me the story? What's <laughs> happening? New galaxies being created now? Yeah. I, well, we sort of knew about this. Well, I even knew about this because galaxies merge all the time. Sure. Right. We've we, we've mentioned this many times. Milky Way is going to collide with Andromeda mm-hmm. and make Milkdromeda, <laughs> which is still the worst name in the world. <laughs> it's cool. I like it. Um, but you know, we see uh, you see lots of beautiful pictures of two galaxies coming together: uh, the Whirlpool Galaxy, the Mice, the Antenna. There's heaps of them. Um, so we know that. So I guess if we exclude that, when I'm not talking about that kind of build right. a new galaxy, okay. that's just build stick, a new one out of old ones. That's just stick two galaxies together and carry on, yeah. right? So what do you mean then? How do you make a new galaxy in the modern universe? Well, actually, through the same process. So this is a paper that I came across, which was actually published in December last year so quite a new piece of research um, from Pasha et al and what they were doing was looking at a galaxy merging system which is m81 and m82 Mm -hmm. so two very 
bright galaxies um, that we can see. Uh, M81 is another big grand spiral, and you've probably seen a picture of it before. Yeah, even I, who knows very little about astronomy, I know the name M81. Mm. I've seen that one. Yeah. And M82 is kind of the other one that's the big one that it's merging or sort of sort of colliding with, mm-hmm. interacting with. Um, M82 is very famous as being sort of the prototype or quintessential um, starburst galaxy. Right. Well, being, being what? What's a starburst galaxy? A uh, galaxy that's just forming a heck of a lot of stars. Right. Hence the name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bursting with new stars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Could have so guessed that. So it, it doesn't look, it looks a bit odd actually, M82, when you sort of see it, because it's got this kind of, it's an edge on spiral. Mm-hmm. So we don't see their beautiful spiral arms and so on. You just sort of see this edgy on bit and this kind of dusty, flary bit. But if we were able to sort of turn around and see it, it would look kind of similar to Mm -hmm. M81. Right. But it's full of loads of new stars. Mm. And the reason why it's all starburst is because, um, what was it, about a few hundred million years ago, maybe two, three hundred million years ago, M81 and M82 had a sort of a flyby. Right. They passed really close. Right. Which um, is going to mess up a galaxy. Oh, know? yeah. Because there's a lot of gravity going on there. There's a lot of gravity. There's a lot of mass. There's a lot of momentum and kinetic energy being exchanged. And that tends to excite galaxies, produce shocks that go through it. And those shocks trigger new stars to be formed. So that's what's happening in M82. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there's two galaxies, um, the, and I say this is a merging process. It's going to take kind of another billion years or so for them to kind of do another few flybys and eventually right. slow down. Because right. they sort together. of get it within their, each other's gravitational influence, and they sort of flash past each other and swirl around. And it's, it's not like they sort of bash together and stick. Mm. Right? There's a lot of space in space, but they sort of fling past each other, and there's this dance that they go on for presumably a really long time. Yeah. 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 So it's going to take about a billion years to, that, to sort of dance to finish. But anyway, so we've got these two galaxies, and actually in M82, which um, we have actually spotted a very, very tiny clump of stuff, Mm -hmm. which appears to be distinct from M82 itself in the sense that it's not part of the same rotation. It's not rotating as part of the disk of M82. It's a clump of stuff that we can show is actively forming stars. And it seems to be, therefore, this gravitationally isolated clump of stuff forming stars. And it therefore, is maybe a baby new galaxy being so formed. Cool. So it's it, in the sense, I mean, you were talking before about the Magellanic clouds of the Milky Way. This is kind of similar there for, for M81, that it's this, this new thing, which is not part of the galaxy itself, but is within its its sort of you know gravitational orbit if you like it's it's there with it it's hanging around with it but it's not part of that structure it's yeah. new it's a new thing in in and of itself yeah and it seems to have been formed from stuff that's been ripped out of right. m82 as this m81's kind of gone right. past so all the bits are there so now you get to watch it sort of forming into a bigger galaxy yeah well we say bigger bigger yeah <laughs> Well, so let's compare it back down to our large okay. and small Magellanic clouds. So remember we said the large and small Magellanic clouds were, um, so if what we're talking about, 10 billion stars for the large, maybe six and a half billion stars for the small. This one we're talking maybe 50 billion stars. So kind of same sort of yeah. scale, maybe five times bigger. Yeah, so that sounds plausible, yeah. But the density of these stars is huge because the large Magellanic clouds about Four and, a, four and a bit thousand parsecs across. Mm-hmm. 
This one's only about 600. Right. So that's much more clumped together already. Like they're mm. really dense. And is that because it's basically come from, you know, the, the existing galaxy and it's been kind of torn apart a bit during this flyby collision with M82? And so you've got a bit of it which has been ripped. I mean, is are you well, basically yeah. saying we've just ripped off a bit of a galaxy and now it's... A it's new galaxy. A new galaxy. Yeah, and I should be very clear here that I've been a bit naughty in my terminology about how many stars and so on these things have. Because what I'm really talking about, particularly with this new galaxy, is actually the number of solar masses. Ah, okay. It's not necessarily the number of distinct stars, because you can have stars that are 100 solar masses, you can have stars that are 0.3 of a solar mass. But um, I do remember you saying that the sun is is fairly average. It's fairly as average. A star. It's still above, above average mass right, generally okay. for well, at least for our galaxy. But anyway, um, so this anyway, there's five fifty sorry billion solar masses worth of material. Much of that may not even be in stars, right? At all, yet. Okay. So. Yeah, this, okay. let's be a little bit clear. Whereas there's large and small Magellanic clouds don't actually have a huge amount of gas and dust. They've got a bit, but not huge, right. huge amounts. Okay. But that aside, you know, it's it's not like we're talking about a tiny, weeny little bunch of stars, which are, no, it's not even a galaxy. And it's not like we're talking, no, that's that's like, you know, spiral galaxy size. This is something which is, you know, in that in-between size. It's definitely galaxy-sized. So in what sense, like how do you, in what sense are we saying that this is now sort of forming into its own thing? Yeah, well, we're calling this a tidal dwarf galaxy. Tidal dwarf galaxy, yes. yeah. okay. So dwarf galaxies, as we've mentioned before, these little the little versions of galaxies, sure. it's called a tidal dwarf because it's tidal forces that have kind of ripped it out of its original kind of host galaxy. Okay, and tidal forces being the kind of forces that you talk about when one galaxy flings past another galaxy and you get a pull on one from the other and vice versa. Exactly. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. So um, now this little tidal dwarf galaxy is one of there's kind of a few different candidates and there's a few sort of known around about the place. So it's not the very first one to be discovered, but it's pretty clear cut that it's different from its host galaxy. It's kind of this is kind of one of the better measurements as far as I understand saying that this is no this is not just more stuff from that mm-hmm. galaxy that's just floating out there in space. This is actually now an active star forming region. Right. We've got new stars being formed. It really is distinct and it is really kind of its own galaxy in its own right. Right. Because, I mean, it'd be interesting enough if you had a, you know, a, a, a collision process between two galaxies which did deform and mess around with one of the galaxies and maybe a bit of it sort of gets stretched out. But But that's not as interesting as, yeah, and this bit's just come off. And not only that... But it's now doing its own thing. Mm. It's building its own structure and it's making new stuff. Yeah. You know, and presumably that's where the excitement is, is that while it came from the old galaxy, it's now its own thing. Yeah. Which is cool. It's very cool. And it was um, the way that they um, characterized this galaxy to be something very different is actually using... I'm going to go into this because it's just too cool. I know yeah, it's not exactly it. about and baby look, galaxies, but go I've got to tell yeah. you about this. It's um, a new telescope called the Dragonfly. 
you sent me pictures of this and I, I began by thinking i wonder why it's called the dragonfly and now if you look at the show uh, the, the chapter art for this particular part of the podcast you'll see why it's called the dragonfly because it's yeah. really cool it looks it like a dragonfly's cool. eye yeah which is awesome so dragonflies are sort of a class of telescope which have been around for a little while where there was an idea of saying well actually building telescopes is quite expensive mm-hmm. um, building you know specific optics mirrors lenses etc for for telescopes is you know it's not cheap no particularly with the trend of could, could we make one bigger yeah you know as big as we possibly can that's going to cost you a lot exactly and sometimes you don't always want really really big telescopes sometimes you actually want smaller telescopes that are more nimble that can see more of the sky that you can train robotically and that kind of thing and so, well, there's actually other fields in the world who also deal with high-precision optics, for example. Um, and, of course, the photography industry is mm-hmm. a big one of those, mm-hmm. right? Photography and astrophotography have always gone hand-in-hand hand and the different technologies being developed. But um, it took someone, I think, quite clever to sit down one day and say, hang on, you've got basically these enormous giant what you might call paparazzi lenses Mm -hmm. that people use for photography. Aren't they just kind of mini telescopes? (laughs) Couldn't we just buy a whole bunch of those and point them in the right direction? Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. So there's been a few... Kind of seems obvious when you put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) You just stick a whole lot of telephoto lenses together and you've got effectively a large telescope. Surely. And it's much cheaper because these mm-hmm. things are commercially available. Mm-hmm. They're just sitting on someone's shelf, you know, that you can go and buy. Is that the telescope equivalent of sort of, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, everyone in computing went from, let's build a really big computer to, we've got all these computers over on the shelf that we could just go and buy. Can we just connect a whole bunch of those together? And suddenly you've got these massively parallel computers built out of things that you just buy. You don't have to have, you know, Cray build you a massive supercomputer. You just make one. This is kind of the same. It is, yeah. So it's, it's quite clever. And, the, I mean, probably the most famous other telescope that's been around um, using this kind of technology is WASP. Mm-hmm. So you might have heard of WASP. Dragonfly and WASP. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, of course, you're getting these um, these names from the fact that you put a whole lot of these telephoto lenses together. They kind of look like the eye of a. Yeah, I mean, insect. they look so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so WASP has been around for quite a while. Um, it, they, WASP was another robotic telescope, and actually there were a couple of WASPs. And, yeah, robotic Super wasp. WASP is something we really don't want to, yeah. <laughs> don't want to encourage. But um, the reason why they're famous and the reason why you might see them around is that actually they were some of the very first very efficient planet hunters. Oh, right. Okay. Because they could study a big bit of sky at any one time and look at very, very small changes in the light from stars. Right, right. So loads of exoplanets were actually discovered um, through these. So you have ones like you know, WASP 38 or WASP 106 or whatever. Um, and they, those names exist for these exoplanets to this day. So if you see an exoplanet cool. called WASP, I should keep why. my eye out for the WASPs. Yeah. But anyway, so this is Dragonfly, which is kind of, I guess, building on that same idea. It's a very slightly different telescope. They're actually doing it for slightly different reasons. They're not really, um, as far as I can see, interested that much in exoplanets. Mm-hmm. What they're interested in doing with Dragonfly is taking a really large chunk of sky, which is hard to do with a very big telescope. You know, normally the bigger your mirror on your telescope, the the tinier the little patch of sky right. that you're focusing on. We've probably talked about that, but that's that's still not an intuitive thing to me. But I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that well, it's just want... to do with your focal ratios. Yeah, yeah. 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 You want you want it as as 
big as possible to get as much resolution as possible in as small a space as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So whereas with these sort of arrays of lenses, what you can do is actually see huge chunks of sky at the same time, which is what makes them great for surveys because you can just sort of get around the night sky in just a couple of hours. Uh, Or indeed what Dragonfly they're trying to do is look at large structures that are very faint but cover big areas of sky. Right, like galaxies. Like galaxies, yeah. Yeah. And so that's why coming to these nearby galaxies is really, really useful. So it's it's quite cool, yeah, what they call low surface brightness stuff. And because you can take this sort of fairly cheap, readily available telescope and point it at the sky for 100 hours, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Nobody worries about that because that's, you know, all these tend to be built by institutions to do specific projects. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you went and said, Hubble, can you just go and point at this for 100 hours for me? I think they'd they'd laugh just la- yeah, yeah. they'd just laugh you out of the room. Not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I thought this was quite cool. And actually, it was a, so this came out of a pilot study of taking this Dragonfly telescope. They only took three of the lenses. Um, and wanted to do some very basic spectroscopic work with it or some very basic looking at different parts of the spectrum, just looking at hydrogen lines, just looking at um, nitrogen lines and sort of just seeing, you know, what can we extract as it compare to all the other studies of these reasonably bright, well-known galaxy mergers. That's very nice. I saw that yeah. you, you sent through the picture of both of Dragonfly as it... Is it will be? This is the, the, the one they've been using as a I prototype. Think, so they're building yeah. the actual dragonfly. But the, the, the prototype one, the Pathfinder, as they called it, kind of looked to me like a three-eyed Wall-E, you know, from the, <laughs> from the Pixar movie. It's very, it's very cute. But it's such a fabulous piece of technology. Yeah, so it's very cool. So they combined that and they sort of said, well, we've got some signs from these early um, dragonfly um, observations that there might be some star forming going on and here they did some follow-up work and also confirmed it with other big telescopes etc as well and yeah basically they're saying yes there there definitely are stars is, being formed this is happening we are and this watching is where they are yeah. in our local bit of the universe right now new galaxy formation with new stuff happening inside yeah that's cool so i was really blown away i was thinking oh actually yeah we are Find like galaxies are being made right now in the and now sort of part of the universe. Now, how long this galaxy will last is perhaps a question that might be worth touching on. Well, I mean, do you mean even beyond the fact that it's in the middle of a system which is currently formed from much larger things in the process of colliding? Yeah, like it, it sounds pretty terminal, yeah? actually. Yeah. Or do you mean even out, even you know, independent of that? Would this thing stick around anyway? Well, it would be all right if it didn't wasn't in the middle of a merging system. Yeah, if it wasn't being born in a storm. Yeah, yeah. the problem is that it is born really yeah. in the middle of this this system that's merging. So, as I say, about a billion years. There's actually three galaxies that are on the merge here. So mm. we got the M81, M82, and another one NGC three oh. There's another one. As if two gonna, wasn't enough. Yeah, that's going to probably <sighs> fall in there as well. Yeah. So the likelihood coming of it coming out of all that unscathed i mean i haven't run the simulations but i wouldn't be super confident you'd have sort of a bit of money on yeah it's probably not gonna and that i mean isn't it weird that that makes me feel a little bit sad like (laughs) anthropomorphizing things is silly anyway but the fact that you've just told me that there's this new little galaxy being formed and it's doing its thing and it's just trying to do what galaxies do and then it's 
probably just going to be bashed apart when these bigger bully galaxies have a fight. It just it just seems wrong. It's not fair. It does seem a little bit. Which is ridiculous the moment I think about <laughs> it. But there we are. But then if you draw this all the way back to the early universe, imagine mm. that that galaxy was formed in the early universe. There wouldn't have been these big spiral galaxies. No, that's true. Kicking around. So maybe we'd just found some more friends that were kind of the same size of it. And then it would have built up into a bigger galaxy itself. Yeah, I'm convinced. <laughs> so, Emily, you earlier on in this podcast, you've been sort of talking about how we can only see so far back towards the beginning of galaxies, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of time. We sort of reach this point where we just can't see any further. We can't go any further back in time. But you, you hinted, and I'm pretty sure I know where this is going, you hinted that that's all about to change, but we'll come back to that, you said. So now's the time to come back to that. What's happening? What's about to happen? Well, yeah, everything that we've just said in the course of this podcast could become completely irrelevant <laughs> within the next few months. Excellent. Good. Because I'm guessing our old friend, James Webb, Space Telescope, is up there getting ready to do its thing, still in the testing phase, but all going well. It'll switch on and do what? Well, it's going to look exactly slightly deeper than what we can see at the moment. So it really, actually, one of the main science goals of JWST is to see, can we see the first stars, the very first galaxies? Can we push that last extra, just just a last extra couple of million years back, and a couple of hundred million years back in time to see those? Has it been, I mean, I'm assuming the answer to this is, is yes, but also complicated, I'm assuming it's been designed, like its entire parameter set. This is a big, complicated, extraordinary instrument. And part of that has been around, okay, how big a telescope would we need to put into space in order to see X much further back towards the Big Bang? And JWST has got to be, surely, a compromise around, we can't afford to make it any bigger than it currently is, but this will get us just far enough. Like, is it? Are we confident that we're going to be able to see... The things we want to see with this oh, telescope. Oh, absolutely. This has been many, many people's life work, right, to put this telescope together to answer this question, amongst but I, others. But, but I guess the flavour of my <clears throat> question is, if you again, I, I know I often make this parallel, but it's where I'm coming from. Particle physics, right? We can talk about particle physics again for a second. You've got the Large Hadron Collider over at CERN, right? And it was the biggest particle accelerator in the world. And then they made it even bigger over the last you know decade or so, just bumping up its power in the hope of seeing new stuff and doing calculations and saying we're fairly sure that we might see new stuff and as it turns out it hasn't given as much new stuff because we don't know we don't know what we're gonna see in particle physics when we crank the energy up even more which is a bit different to the universe because you know you're pushing back towards the big bang like those first stars have to be there those first galaxies have to be there so was jwst designed to be able to see them or just getting closer? Well, <laughs> the answer is not that simple, of unfortunately. Course it's not. Of course it's I not. think because when you think about when JWC started its design process, which yeah. would have been 30 years ago, let's say, we had no idea about even the galaxies that we talked about in the last episode, right? right? We yeah. had no idea that they we could yeah. even see those galaxies yeah. with the technology that we have now. Isn't that amazing that, that it's been 30 years of designing this thing and so much has happened in the last century, let alone 30 years? Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, it was only last year that the paper came out saying that these things might be around 250 million years. Yeah, fair point. Big. So I think you can make good guesses. Um, I think in any case, they knew they were going to be going further, and that's mm-hmm. fine. You can always go further. And then, you know, there is a point. <laughs> you can't go back forever. But I think we have hit that sweet spot of probably we will be able to see these things. And it's not, as I say, by accident. It's not just like, hey, we happen to have this infrared telescope. Has anyone got any ideas what yeah, we might want to do with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what I did look into was uh, the JADES project, which Jades. was quite interesting. So we've got to have an acronym. Yes. Yep. So JADES stands for JWST, already an acronym. <laughs> an acronym within an acronym. It's acronym inception. All the way down. Yep. Uh, JWST, Advanced Deep Extragalactic Survey. Nice. Okay. And that means what exactly? It's basically ramped up the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Oh, right. Yes. Which is, you will, listener, remember, we've shown this a few times now, I think, these amazing images from Hubble of just looking at space. What was, you know, empty space. I'm doing air quotes here. Um, And actually, it's full of galaxies. You know, this, this one tiny little block of sky has thousands of galaxies in it the most amazing images and this is doing that but more oh yes very yeah. much more so <laughs> much more so so they're explaining to spend already about 800 hours of jwst time wow just taking two fields of sky and just stopping and staring just at them. looking at them really long so that comes from the two fields of, i was quite i was quite interested in this actually the two fields are called goods they're from Goods, the Great Observatories Origins Deep Survey. Okay. Great Observatories was um, sort of the 1990s project, 80s, 90s project of NASA, where they decided they would send basically a space telescope at every wavelength up. Oh, that's the, right. Yeah. yeah. So you've got Hubble, but then you've also got what Chandra, the, the yeah Spitzer, one, Spitzer, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So all they, they were called the Great Observatories. Um, but then and they're all in space. Yeah. Yep. And then you had the um, ESA kind of came along slightly later and sort of did upgrades on those. So you had Herschel, uh, XMM Newton was another one, X-ray telescope. So so basically all the biggest and best telescopes across, across all the, different wavelengths yeah. to be able to look at the universe in all different ways. Uh, and they chose two patches of sky that they've been observing. Um, one is in the north, well, north celestial sort of part of the sky around Ursa Major. And one is in the South Celestial part of the sky, which is near Fornax. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the south bit actually contains the Hubble Ultra Deep Field right. itself okay. as well. So a bit, we've already had a really good hard look at with Hubble. We're going to have a really hard look at with James Webb. And we're going to go – and, and you know, the great thing is we can see – Probably, maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, these very, very first galaxies. Wow. And when's that due to happen, do we know? Uh, well, let's turn the thing on first. Get yeah, we've got to get it. We've got to get it. I think it, we're at least a few months away still from our first science yeah. images, from what I understand. But, you know, we're talking about probably months to years rather than mm. decades, as it yeah. ha- probably has been for many, many people's careers. <laughs> you've given us something to be very excited about there. I know it's still, we, we still have to turn James Webb on properly yet. We have to take those first scientific images and, and do some real research and make sure that's actually working properly. But gee, there's going to be some really exciting stuff coming out of this thing. Yeah, now I can understand when you read through that there's like some, I think there's about four science themes of JWST and you read them and you think that's just 
all of astronomy. <laughs> but it's nice to dig down and actually pull out the concrete things yeah. of, no, that's exactly why we're going to be answering that question about the very first stars, the very first galaxies in the universe. It's just because we're going to be able to actually see them. Yeah. I, just, I kind of feel like at this point we should just turn this podcast into the JWST podcast. But no, we, we do talk about other things as well. It's just that it's really blooming exciting at the moment and there's so much to look forward to. Um, the other thing coming out of this episode is I never thought that I could have such deep feelings for a little galaxy forming and then potentially facing its doom. I, I'm a little bit sad about that. If people wanted to get in touch with the with the show to express their feelings about anthropomorphized cosmic structures, then Emily, how could people get in touch? Well, I think you've probably got enough characters on Twitter just to get through at least the first part of those emotive responses. Probably. Put some emojis in there to help us out. So how do they contact us on Twitter? So you can at us. That's a thing, right? You that's can at thing. us yeah. at SyzygyPod, S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y-P-O-D. Indeed. Also on the Instagrams, on the same handle. Yep. Yep. And are we on Facebook? Yeah. yeah. I mean, on. look, with all of these social medias, when we say we're on it, we're kind of, you know, we do pop up from time to time. <laughs> yeah. we, we're trying our best. We are on Facebook. Just go and search for Syzygy Podcast yeah. and you'll, you'll find us. Uh, we also have a website which has got all sorts of stuff on it, including a contact page and all of the past episodes. And a big shout-out thanks to everyone who has supported the show, particularly through patreon.com slash syzygypod, where you can go and financially support the show to help keep the electrons flowing through said website and everything that we do in this podcast. But the best way that you can support the show is by just telling everyone you know that we do a thing. Um, if you know someone who would get a kick out of hearing about baby universes or indeed anything else in the cosmos, just tell them. Tell them that the show's on and they should go and listen to it and it'll help us to rise up through the noise and be discovered by more people around the world. But otherwise, let's wrap it up there, Emily. So we're going to continue this baby theme. Yeah, What's I think so. coming up next? It's a good question. We've gone sort of, we've gotten time, haven't we? We've gone mm. from universes to the first stars and galaxies kind of yeah. maybe around the same yeah, time. Yeah. So... Hmm, that's a good question. Maybe we could go with kind of how stars are born today. Ah. Just a little bit different. So not to the those first, first stars, stars, but stars which are popping into existence around the galaxy and around the universe right now. Right now. Yeah, let's do that. Well, join us in a week or so's time, listeners, for that next one. Catch you in a week. See you later, Emily. See you later. Bye, everybody. <laughs> So it's a type of dwarf, which we've mentioned before. Oh, no, don't come no, in. We have don't an intruder. In. No. no, you still can't come in. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> that was a really big bumblebee. Welcome to Spring. Yeah.